Well, good morning, everyone. As has already been said, welcome to Riverwood Church. So, so glad that you are here. If you are a first-time guest with us here in person or joining online, my name is Aaron, lead pastor for Riverwood. And as Jake and Grace said, today is week three in Advent. And today we're going to be looking at this idea of seeking wisdom. In 1996, uh, Leanne and I were living in Venezuela working at a school for missionary children. And we decided that we were ready to add to our family. So when Leanne started not feeling very well each morning and often throughout the day, we suspected it was pregnancy and not uh, the flu. Well, a trip to the clinic revealed that we were right. And sure enough, nine months later, along came our firstborn, Karis Renee. Well, when, we were, when she was at the clinic, they did a very simple blood test, and they discovered that Leanne was anemic. Her, her iron was low. And so they sent her with some uh, advice on what she needed to do to bring that red blood cell count up. Now, you would suspect that, you know, one of the things they would say is take iron supplements, and, and we added that into, you know, our, our daily routine. But there was another piece of advice on the literature that they sent home. In order for Leanne to bring her red blood cell count up, they told her to eat red jello. Now, you and I know that red jello isn't going to do squat for your red blood cell count. And in defense of the doctors and nurses at the clinic, they also knew it wasn't going to do anything. However, within the culture at that time, there was a commonly held belief that red jello increased your red blood cell count. And so, therefore, the clinic put it on the sheet. Otherwise, if they left it off, people would think that this uh, clinic was engaging in malpractice. Now, they knew it wasn't going to harm anyone, but they still put it on the sheet so that everyone else out in the culture thought that they were being a good clinic. We would probably categorize this as an old wives' tale. But it isn't just the Venezuelans who have old wives' tales. We have our own old wives' tales. I learned that uh, many centuries ago here in America... It was believed that if you were ever bitten by a dog, you should pluck a hair from that dog and touch the wound with the hair and it would speed the recovery. Now, I'm thinking if the dog is already angry enough to bite you, you probably don't want to go pull in its hair. But this was an old wives' tale. Uh, another old wives' tale, um, uh, if you have wet hair, you're told don't go outside into freezing temperatures, otherwise you will catch a cold. Well, it's germs that cause a cold, not your wet hair out in freezing temperatures. Also, you maybe have heard that if you eat spicy food, you will get an ulcer. Not true. Now, for some people, spicy food bothers their stomach, but it isn't going to cause an ulcer. It's way too much acid in your stomach that causes the ulcer. In fact, some studies have revealed that eating spicy food stimulates blood circulation, which would actually heal the ulcer faster. But it might just make you really, really uncomfortable. By the way, I am not a medical professional. Please do not take my advice. Please consult your doctor or Corey, a pharmacist, before engaging in spicy food consumption. Anyway, we have all these old wives' tales. And, and many times we've discovered that they no longer exist, you know, that these things are wrong because of scientists and experts in their field. And so we can trust them, right? Except when they're wrong. Uh, I found <laughs> these are hilarious. So forgive me if I just laugh my way through these. Uh, back in 1883, Lord Kelvin, the president of the Royal Society, said, X-rays will prove to be a hoax. 
how wrong he was. In 1872, Pierre Pachette, a professor of physiology at Toulouse, said, Louis Pasteur's theory of germs is ridiculous fiction. That was a horrible French accent, but there you go. 1943, the chairman of the board, Thomas Watson, said, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. I think there's probably five computers just in that row right there in the phones and pockets. Um, And then a last one, 1876, an internal memo at Western Union said, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. That just cracks me up. This device is inherently of no value to us. These experts thought that they were dispensing wisdom. They thought they were telling people, here's what's best, here's what's right, here is what is wise. And yet they were clearly wrong. Why? Because so often we base our wisdom on the things of our culture. And where things are at right now is how we think it will always be. But culture changes. Our knowledge increases. And so when you base your wisdom upon those things, you suddenly can find it shifting underneath you and you can become lost again. Now, most of those examples that I just gave, the old wives' tales and the the, uh, old quotes, those are from science and, and health. For many of us, that's not what we deal with on a daily basis. But we are dealing with some very murky things. Many of us are dealing with relationships. We we have issues at our job. At school, there might be some financial things going on or some health things. And we find ourselves trying to navigate through those and we sometimes don't know what to do. We feel like we lack wisdom. So many of us, we begin to search for wisdom out in our culture. We search for it in self-help books, blog posts. We try to find it on the news we, we ask our coworkers, our classmates. We, we turn to Facebook. Now, don't get me wrong. Turn into friends, trusted people. That, that's actually wise. Proverbs 15, uh, 22 tells us that where plans, fa- uh, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with an abundant advisors, they are established. So when you lack wisdom, get those advisors, those counselors. But what if your counselors are just getting their information from culture? What if they're just simply running like the experts and just going with what conventional wisdom says is best? What if they think you should eat red jello? Is it possible to gain a heart of wisdom that, that isn't based upon cultures that shifts and change? Is it possible to get something that will stabilize and help us in life? Today, as we continue on in Advent in week three of our Christmas series, we're going to see two different sets of very intelligent, smart, knowledgeable people. We're going to see how they've gone about gaining this knowledge, but we're going to see one key difference between them. One of the groups, we're going to see that really what they have is knowledge, not wisdom. And we will discover through the second group that what happens is you gain your, uh, when you apply your knowledge, You begin to have wisdom, and it begins to change the way you live. So as we get ready to turn to the scriptures, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts and our minds before your throne right now, asking for you to teach us. Father, you tell us in James 1 that if any of us lacks wisdom, to ask for it. 
And so, God, I pray that today you would give us your wisdom. Help us to hear what you have put in your timeless scriptures so that we can leave here today with confidence that you can grant us and will give us the wisdom that we need to navigate through this life, to become more like Jesus, and to go and be a blessing to the world. So God, please do in us today what you need to do, what you want to do, for your glory and for our joy. Do this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, the last two weeks we have been in Luke chapter 2, the famous Christmas passage. But for us to kind of gain a broader understanding of the Christmas story and the various things that we seek in life, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 12. In here are two different sets of these wise guys, these guys who seem to have a lot of knowledge. So let's begin verse 1, and we'll be, uh, read through this, and then we'll talk about the Magi. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Well, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way." Last week, we had the joy of looking at the shepherds. As we saw, uh, the shepherds, many of them, not all, but many of the shepherds were on that low end of the social totem pole. Well, today we get to go to the opposite end of the spectrum of the respected, and we get to look at these magi. The, The word magi... Uh, is a, from a Greek word that's influenced by a Persian word, meaning expert in the stars. But these guys were just not merely astronomers. Think of like an astronomer who mixes in some astrology, or actually probably more accurately, some theology. Right? They not only studied the heavens, but they studied the various religions and, and tried to determine what they said about the stars as well. 
If you remember, back in the Old Testament, Israel was taken into exile to Babylon. The Babylonians were known for not trying to erase other people's cultures. They wanted to learn from other people's cultures. They, they wanted to assimilate that information in. So this has been happening for centuries. So these guys have gained a lot of information about the heavens and about area religions. So when one day a star arises... They recognize that indicates that the Jewish Messiah, the king of the Jews, has been born. And they decide that they want to go and greet him. Now, we don't know if there were only three, despite what our song says. All we know is that they brought three gifts. There, now, tradition holds there were three. They even give them names. But there could have been 12. All we know is that there's more than one. The plural word is used. So two to however many you want. And they were probably very, very wealthy uh, based on the gifts that they give, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They, these were very costly gifts. So these guys were probably wealthy. So when they come traipsing into uh, Jerusalem, probably riding on donkeys, we don't know, but that's probably a safe assumption. They probably also had some servants with them. Maybe they had a couple of donkeys just carrying their gifts and their extra food. And they come waltzing into Jerusalem. Everyone takes note. And suddenly, they're, they probably made their way to the central part of Jerusalem, and, and they show up at the temple, and they're like, where is he? Where's who? The newborn king. We saw his star. We're here to worship him. Well, faster than a workplace gossip ring, word gets to Herod. Herod brings these guys in front of him, and they start asking him. Now, what you need to know about Herod is he considered himself the king of Israel, but he wasn't. Remember, the Roman Empire is, is ruling right now. So they've merely left Herod as sort of like a, a figurehead. So they actually control him. So if they want to get rid of Herod, out he goes. So he's not truly a king, but he likes to think of himself as a king. So he demands everyone call him King Herod, and he's trying to prepare one of his sons to, to lead when he's gone. However, because he thought he was a traditional king... He thought two of his sons and one of his wives were going to try to overthrow him. So he actually had them killed in order to protect his throne. This guy was a megalomaniac. He was all about himself and his power and his position. So you can imagine just how bothered he is when some guys come traipsing into town saying, we're here to worship the newborn king. I want you to think about these wise men. They may have come from Babylon. They may have come from Persia. Babylon is in uh, uh, modern-day, uh, I, I think it's uh, Iran, and, and Persia is Iraq. It would have taken these guys weeks, if not months, to make the trip. Babylon is almost straight east of Jerusalem, but it would, you would have to cross a desert. That would be a difficult journey. And so they probably went around it to the north, which would just increase more time. What in the world would cause these guys to hop on uncomfortable camels to make such an incredibly long trek? They tell us in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, they have been studying so long that when they notice something going on in the heavens, they begin to interpret it in light of the religious text that they have been studying, and they begin to put it all together and realize this means that the Messiah has been born. 
This is a once in all of history type of event, and they don't want to miss it. That is why they're willing to load up camels, to load up food, to load up these gifts, to get their servants, and to trek for weeks by feet, riding on these bumpy, uncomfortable camels, just so they can see a child. So often what we want is instant wisdom. We don't want to take the the long time to study something, to learn it like these guys. We just want to know it. Now, sometimes God gives instant wisdom. But earlier in chapter 1, we read a story where Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. And he immediately assumes it's another guy. Because he knows it's, he's not the dad. And, and so because he actually cares for her, he's going to very, divorce her very quietly. Trying not to shame her. Until God announces in a dream, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Take her as your wife as your wife, and raise the child as your own. And you are to name him Jesus, for he's going to save his people from their sins. He received instant wisdom. Uh, so did the Magi at the end of our story. In verse 12, we see after they have met the, the child. By the way, Jesus at this point is probably about one, maybe two years old. After they meet the child, they've given their gifts, they've worshipped. They are warned in a dream, don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't you dare tell Herod. Because if you keep reading, Herod discovers that the, the wise men have slipped off, didn't tell him where the, the child is. And so he sends all of his soldiers to go and kill all of the babies. Thankfully, God had given another case of instant wisdom to Joseph, a dream, flee to Egypt, and so they go. That's what we want. We want the instant wisdom of Matthew 1, or, or in, in Matthew 2.12, or what God gives to, to Joseph to go to Egypt. That's what we want. And sometimes God gives it. Sometimes when you're sitting talking with a friend, a counselor, and they say something, you know, this is what I need to do. Other, other times, you could be reading the scriptures, and suddenly God speaks to you in a way that you know, here's what I need to do. I have a friend who is in full-time ministry now because he was just studying through the book of Colossians, and as he's reading it, he just sensed God calling him, here's what I want you to do. And yes, I believe that God can still communicate in dreams. However... God very rarely does. So if you wait for God to give you a dream, just give you instant wisdom, you might wait your entire lifetime and never experience it. Instead of waiting for that instant wisdom, be more like the Magi. Spend the time reading, studying, gleaning, discussing, learning. Get this information Study the scriptures. Learn what you can about the gospel so that when the crisis moment hits, you're not having to plead for that instant wisdom because you will have discovered you have already had the wisdom that God has given you over the years. So be like the Magi. Read, learn, study. Gain that knowledge. However, knowledge itself is not enough. That's actually what the next set of really wise men show us. And we meet them in verses 4 through 6. The uh, wise men show up to Herod. Herod doesn't know anything about this. So it says in verse 4 that he is assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The Magi, through their study, recognize a star and realize what it means. But they don't know exactly where. And so they show up in Jerusalem, the capital city. It just makes the most sense. But that's not where he's at. Herod knows nothing about it. So he calls his own magi, his own wise men, brings in the Jewish scholars, the the chief priests, and he asks them because they have been studying for centuries all about the Messiah. They could tell you so much about this Messiah. So when asked on the spot, where will he be born? They can respond on the spot. They have the knowledge he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They quote Micah 5.2. And so they, they understand or do they? Because you realize these wise men, these magi, show up in town saying the newborn king, the Messiah, has been born. When asked then, where is the Messiah to be born? Bethlehem. Which is only six miles away outside of Jerusalem. And yet, it is only the magi that load up their camels and make the last bit of trip And it's no one else. You would think that these Jewish scholars, upon finding out that these magi have arrived, the reason why they've shown up, and then they're asked, well, where's this Messiah to be born? That they would be the ones loading up camels or donkeys or horses or at least putting on their running sandals and hightailing it to Bethlehem to go and meet the Messiah who they've been waiting for thousands of years. But they don't. They just simply remain with their knowledge. It's only the Gentile philosophers from Babylon that make the last bit of the trek and have the joy of meeting Jesus. You see, it is possible for you to gain all sorts of knowledge. But if that knowledge is not applied into your life, you're a fool. That is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans one twenty two. He's describing a certain group of people, and he says that they're claiming to be wise, but they have become fools. Think about these Jewish scholars, these chief priests. They have so much knowledge, and when you ask them questions, they can answer them. They look so wise. They sound so wise. I mean, they even smell wise. I mean, they just, everything about them seems to be wisdom. And yet they don't even go the six miles. How foolish. It it, it would be like a seminary professor or a seminary president who knows more about theology than all of us in this room collected. And yet they still get caught in some sort of scandal. Financial, sexual, relational And and they lose everything. They have so much information about God and theology, but when they don't apply it to their life, they suddenly are revealed to be fools. Quite regularly at Riverwood, I encourage you, I implore you to get into the scriptures. I mean, just a little bit ago, as we talked about the Magi, I'm telling you to read, to study, to learn the gospel. But when I encourage that, I am not trying to tell you to just fill your head. I'm not trying to get you to just memorize a bunch of verses, to know the stories, to be able to debate the difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation. 
and have it make no difference in your life and heart. Because it'd be far more important for you to go and be a blessing and maybe not be able to answer all those questions than it would be for you to have all the, the wisdom in the world and yet to be revealed a fool. As, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. That is not what we want for you. It's not what God wants for you. It's not the type of church I want us to be. Instead, Paul goes on to say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The information that you learn about the gospel isn't just to make you theologically smarter. It's to change the way you live and to go and live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. That is why I want to encourage you. Yes, please go and learn, study, grow in this. But it isn't just so you can look really cool and smart and impress others. It should be traveling from your head down to your heart, changing the way you live, and you go and be a glo- uh, 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 <laughs> sorry, you go and be a joy because of the gospel. In uh, Job, the main character. Oh, I didn't put my marker in. In Job twenty-eight, uh, the main character Job says this in verse twelve. says but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding have you ever felt there you felt like you 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 don't know where to get wisdom where to turn how, how to help you through this situation well after waxing eloquently for a while he answers his own question at the very end of the chapter this is job twenty eight twenty eight. behold the fear of the lord that is wisdom And to turn away from evil is understanding. Notice, he says that the heart of wisdom is found in the heart of God. You want wisdom? You turn to God. But to understand the heart of God, you have to understand the heart of the gospel. As we discussed last week, the gospel tells us that you are far more sinful than you realize, and yet you are far more loved than you could ever imagine. Your sin does not repel God from you, but it does keep you from being able to just walk into his presence. But because God loves you so much, he has come to you, going to the cross, dying your death on the cross, paying your penalty so that you can come into that relationship with him. He loves you so much. And when you begin to study this and understand the heart of God, you begin to tap into wisdom. Notice the last thing that Job said there. It says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. In other words, wisdom should be knowledge applied. Like, the things you learn, it should go and change you. There, there should be an activity, turning away from evil to go and do good. So yes, please, be like the Magi and the scholars. Study, learn, grow, read the scriptures. If you don't like reading, listen to the Bible. Find a a Christ-centered podcast. Listen to some great preaching. Meet with some friends, a growth group, a a one-on-one with someone. Discuss these things. Grow in these things. But please, don't let it just get stuck at the head. Don't make make you stay in Jerusalem and miss the last six miles. May it compel you to go. 
to Jesus, to seek him because wisdom is found in Christ. And as you seek wisdom in him, he changes you so that you will love like he did and live like he did. So I guess to sum it all up, yeah, I want you to seek wisdom. But I want you to seek wisdom by seeking Jesus, the wisest one who ever lived, because I know he's not just going to fill your head. He's going to fill your heart. And that will make all the difference in the world. So Heavenly Father, uh, we just uh, conclude this with prayer because God, we realize we lack wisdom. And so that's why, as I prayed in the beginning, thank you for what you said in James 1, that if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask you for it. God, you sometimes give us that wisdom in an instant. And and so we say thank you for for the times that you do just uh, uh, grant that to us. But Heavenly Father, some of us, we need to just get into this in uh, the long term. Father, would you help us as 2022 is rolling around to make that a year of the word, a year of study, a year of growth. Help us to stay committed into the scriptures, to stay committed to a growth group or or meeting one-on-one with a friend and we discuss these things. God, just continue to do that deep work in us so that we gain that heart of wisdom that is only found in you. Father, I just pray for any of us that have allowed ourselves because we've gone to church our whole lives to be puffed up with knowledge. Instead, God, would you humble us so that we will go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Father, we surrender ourselves, ask you to do in us what you need to, because we want to be these type of people. Because as I so often say, God, we want to do this for your glory, knowing that by doing so, it will also be for our joy. And God, that's what today's about, this third week of Advent. You sent Jesus. We want to be like the wise men, who upon seeing the child were filled with exceeding joy. God, I want to experience that type of joy day in and day out. I want to see my my church family have that kind of joy. And that joy is found as we look at Jesus. So Father, as we turn to the communion elements now, may we do so with joy, realizing that you, Jesus, came down for us. You took on human flesh, You were born as a baby. You are God incarnate. The reason you came wasn't just to get gold and frankincense and myrrh or whatever gifts we can bring to you. You came to give yourself for us. You are the greatest gift. So as we take the bread, as we take the cup, may we remember that you gave yourself for us upon a cross and help us to thank you and to find joy because of you. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So with that, at any time during this next song that the team leads us in, feel free to come to the communion elements. Uh, If you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to ask that you very, very respectfully avoid the table. Instead, may you let the words of the song lead you in prayer to seek after God. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and to come with joy. This is not to be this moment just of sadness and brokenness. If you need to, if the Holy Spirit's working on you and you need to deal with something, by all means, please allow yourself to be broken right now. But also, come with joy. Jesus came for you. Just as these uh, wise men saw the star stop, 
can't imagine what fluttered up in their heart. After weeks of traveling, after years of study, the moment has come. And they got to give him everything. And they didn't even know that he was going to die on a cross for their sins. How much better we have it. We don't have to travel that far. We haven't been studying this for centuries. And yet we get to come to Jesus. So may you come with joy. May you come with thanksgiving. May you do this in remembrance of him.